Well, 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 it's time to start. That means certain people need to find their seat. <laughs> hey, good morning. It's great to see you here at Hope and Anchor Church. Been looking forward to this time because guess what? This week we are continuing in. This is the second week of our Imprint 2022 series. Our learning adventure, uh, our learning adventure in the classical Christian spiritual disciplines. I think this is time well spent because, you know, it's good for us to uh, talk about theology. It's good for us to talk about, uh, you know, uh, passages in Scripture that tell us a story about God, about whatever. But it's also important for us to learn to actually become more like Jesus because we know we're supposed to, right? And we hear stories about Jesus. We hear stories about God's redemptive work in creation. But it's good for us to take some time, to take some weeks, to actually talk about how we go about growing in Christ-likeness. What are some of the tangible, practical ways we can spend our time daily uh, pursuing certain spiritual habits or relational habits that start to align our, our behavior and our will, our thinking, more with that which we see in Christ and what Christ desires for us? So, man, I think we could all stack hands and say, yes, this is time well spent. We want to develop good fruitful spiritual habits or spiritual disciplines. And we started last week by talking and kind of assessing where we were on that. And some of you feel like you've got some strong spiritual habits, some spiritual disciplines in place. But many of us feel like this is an area where we could use some growth, right? So man, we're going to take our time. We're going to take 17 weeks. And this week we're just going to talk a little bit more about the why of spiritual disciplines before we jump into the specifics about like prayer, scripture study, scripture meditation, those kind of things. This week we want to talk about the unexpected path of freedom. The path that leads unexpectedly toward freedom. So like I said, this is the second week in our teaching series on the classical Christian spiritual disciplines about how we are intentionally being shaped by God to be more like Jesus. Now, whenever we talk about spiritual disciplines, I often notice a strange push-pull dynamic or push-pull response in my listener. Uh, I pick up on a mixed sort of fascination and also fear in my audience. Why is this? Well, I think it's because the idea of, uh, of discipline, the idea of intentionality in our following after Jesus, our intentional growth, it's both attractive, but also intimidating. Does anyone feel this? It's kind of like both ends, like, man, I really want to, but I'm not sure that I want to. <laughs> it's attractive, but it's also intimidating. It's interesting, but somehow it's off-putting. It's like, man, I really want to become a better Christian, but I really don't want to become a monk. I mean, you know, I don't want to become that spiritual or that religious, right? We, we, we run up against this. And here's something else. I think that the time in which we live, the culture in which we live, makes this even more difficult. Because we live in a time that it's very popular, it's very, uh, it's very, uh, we're, we're very influenced to do everything we can to cast off restraint. You shouldn't be required to do anything. You shouldn't have to do anything you don't want to do. All the truth you need, all the direction, all the identity you have, it's, it's within you. You do you. Don't listen to all those haters, right? 
We live, as, as Victor Edmond says, we, we live in a very undisciplined age. It is not very fashionable to be disciplined. It's not very fashionable to be told that you ought to discipline yourself. Because what do I know? What does anybody know? No one can tell you how to live your life. You know, that's the time we live in. Maybe it's always been this way, but right now it's really peaked. It's really peaked. No one can tell anyone what they ought to or ought not do. So ours is an undisciplined age. Dis discipline can be a dirty word. Discipline can be a dirty, unpleasant word. It can cause fear. It can cause hesitancy. It can cause a sense of loathing. Uh, it is something that both pulls us closer, but also pushes us away. Our experience with quote-unquote discipline, especially in the Christian life, has often been associated with negative motivations. When you hear discipline, what do you automatically think of? Correction. Correction. Does anyone think fun? <laughs> awesome? No. When I hear discipline, my default setting in my brain is to hear, or else. Do this, or else. You're going to get it, you know. Cooperate and graduate, you know. I mean, like, do this so you might live, right? Uh, especially in the Christian life, the word discipline has often been negative. It's often been fear-based, really all about compliance. But here's the thing. Disciplining ourselves to avoid punishment is to wildly miss the point in following Jesus. Jesus never said, come and follow me or else. Follow me. Come and have this abundant life or else you're going to sizzle like a piece of sausage. You know, you never heard this kind of language out of Jesus. He's always saying these things, inviting us to come close, inviting us to listen. And it always sounds like invitation. It always sounds like he's inviting us into something vast and fruitful and life-giving, right? But oftentimes our experience in church has been the opposite, right? It's like, well, you don't want to do that because, you know, you'd go to hell. <laughs> you know, I mean, did anybody else grow up in a church experience that hung hell over your head quite a bit? It's like, well, you don't want to go see a movie at the movie theater because if Jesus came back and found you there, <laughs> you might go to hell. We were talking just this week, I think, about all the things that in my upbringing were off-limits. Bowling. Uh, roller skating was a little suspect. You could, rent, you could rent movies from Blockbuster on VHS tape, you know. But you, you couldn't go see that same movie at the theater because that was like, oh, man, Jesus came back. What do you want to find you sitting at, a, you know, the Campbell 16 or whatever? Um, or the Fox Theater on the square. <laughs> Anyone remember that? No? All right. Um, anyway, Jesus invites us into something life-giving and good, but sometimes our upbringing has made discipline seem like a negative thing because it's been based in fear and just compliance. If we are avoiding, if we are only disciplining ourselves in order to avoid punishment, we are likely to miss the point entirely of what it means to follow Jesus. We're, we're likely to miss the point of what Jesus is actually inviting us into. Coming to faith in Jesus Christ, it casts a vision for our lives. And it orients our whole being, and it points us in a direction. It points us in a direction that leads to what? 
leads to life. It leads to freedom. It leads to freedom. Everything Jesus compels us to do is for our own good, and it leads us to life and to freedom. As Donald Whitney famously says, Discipline without direction is drudgery. Let's say that together. Discipline without direction is drudgery. How many agree with that? Discipline without direction, it's drudgery. But here's the thing. It's really worse than that. It's, it's worse than drudgery. I think discipline without direction is a soul-defeating disaster. We're not made to just do stuff for the sake of doing it. It's like why I hate stationary bikes and treadmills. It's just a waste of activity, right? It's going nowhere. Anyway, um, a vital sense of purpose and vision is necessary if the spiritual disciplines are ever going to achieve God's hope in us and within His people in the world. We have to have this, this central, vital sense of direction and purpose. Otherwise, the spiritual disciplines are drained of their promise and all we have left is punishment. It just becomes drudgery, a soul-destroying punishment, a disaster. Uh, the big difference would be like moving stones. Think about moving stones. There's a big difference between moving stones to build the pyramids of Giza or the temple in Jerusalem versus being in a prison camp and being forced to hard labor of just moving stones. There's stories told of uh, prisoners being forced to move big piles of rocks. A big pile of rocks, they go move the rocks over to there. Once all the rocks are moved over to there, guess what they get to do again? <laughs> move the rocks back over to there. It's just to wear you down, to break you. And there's a big difference. If you don't have a vision, it becomes a punishment. If you're not building a temple, if you're not building a, something worthwhile, if you're not compelled by vision, it becomes terrible. Uh, it's the difference between sitting at a wedding feast, raising your glass to the bride and groom, and celebrating, dancing, and just chewing gum. Using your jaw for the same type of activity, but there's no purpose. There's no direction. We want promise, not punishment in this. So we know this. The Bible, when we go to the Word of God, we find that the Bible casts a vision for the life in Christ. And what is that vision? What is the vision that Scripture casts for the life in Christ? It is this. It is to be transformed. It is to be Come like Jesus Christ. It is to have Jesus Himself, His likeness, His, His character imprinted upon us. We want to have Jesus' life, His ministry, His likeness imprinted upon us. We want to grow up in fullness and stature into the likeness of Jesus. We want to grow into Christian maturity. We want to have the fruits of the Holy Spirit growing in our lives. We want to produce good fruit. By practicing the spiritual disciplines, we want to see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control being born in our lives. This is what it means to live an abundant life, a life that is bearing fruit and is blessing others. It's flowing out of us. It's, it's being given to others because of the fruitfulness that we're experiencing in our lives. I think of 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verses 7-10. through 10. Where Paul tells Timothy, he says, Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself, train yourself to be godly. 
Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. This is why we work hard and continue to struggle, for our hope is in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and particularly of all believers. Train yourself. Train yourself to be godly. If we were really clear, if we were really honest about how we came to faith and what our Christian life has been like since, you probably experienced a whole lot of emphasis on getting saved, right? Trust Jesus, confess your sins, get saved. But then after that, it was just kind of like, all right, keep going to church. Don't smoke, drink, or chew, or date girls who do. I mean, that, that's pretty much the instructions on Christian living we got. Keep going to church and don't smoke, drink, or chew, or date girls who do. We didn't experience much of this guidance that says train yourself in godliness. Train yourself. Pursue godliness. Here's what we know. When Jesus returns, our struggle with the flesh will be finished. Our need for disciplines will largely be, be over, right? When Jesus returns, our struggle with the flesh will be finished and God's hope in us will be finally realized. In the meantime, in the meantime, we are to discipline ourselves. We are to discipline ourselves in order to grow intentionally toward Christ's likeness, to bear Christ's imprint more and more during the days we've been given. That is our task, to train ourselves in godliness. Now, why is this? Because here's what I believe. Our lives now should resemble and prepare us for life with God in eternity. I'll say that again because you're going to hear that throughout this series. But our lives now should resemble and prepare us for life with God in eternity. Do you agree with that statement? In fits and starts, imperfectly, sometimes woefully inadequately, but to a growing degree, our life now should resemble and prepare us for life with God in eternity. That's what happens as you're bearing the fruits of the Spirit. As you're becoming more like Christ, you're going to be better and better outfitted for life in the kingdom. So that when you show up in eternity on the other side of death, you're going to be like well prepared. Like, oh, I think I could get used to this. It's like if you've traveled the world, you've gone to some cultures that you get there, you get off the plane, you're like, holy moly, what have I done? Where am I? This does not feel anything like home. But then you've traveled to other places in the world where you've got off the airplane, you've got out into the city or whatever, and you're like, ah, this is it. This is it. I remember uh, going, this isn't in my notes, so this could go off the rails, but uh, I remember when I was younger in ministry, uh, I went to Manaus, Brazil. I didn't speak, I didn't speak Portuguese. I, I mean, it was my first time international. I get off the airport in Manaus and... Uh, what in the world? I mean, the driving was crazy. The language I didn't understand. Everything was crazy. Then we went out to the jungle, and it was like, oh, what am I doing? Liked it, but it did not feel like home. Uh, uh, in December, I uh, went to Hungary, went to Budapest, and uh, found out that uh, Budapest, even though I don't speak Hungarian, loved it. And it's like, man, let's just stay here. This place feels like home. Uh, Ireland's felt that way. Um, places in Europe, yeah, I could get into that. But anyway, you know the difference. You know the difference. But what if when we show up before the throne of Jesus and we're welcomed into, an eternal, into eternity in that new heaven, that new earth, new creation, and we feel like, yes, ah, finally, the struggle's over. 
I mean, that they would, that's what we would feel. That would be the primary emotion, the primary sense we have is like, ah, I can finally relax. <laughs> I can finally settle in to a place that feels like home. This is the place I've always known about, but I didn't know about. You know, C.S. Lewis talks about this at the end of the Narnia Chronicles. I need to get back to my notes here. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, furthermore, <laughs> I'm just going to go off on a tangent here. But Anyway, our lives now should resemble and prepare us for life with God in eternity. Now, God uses three primary catalysts for growing us in Christ-likeness. Okay, I'd like to talk about this briefly. God uses three primary catalysts to grow us in Christ-likeness. People, circumstances, and spiritual disciplines. God uses people, God uses circumstances, and God uses spiritual disciplines to grow us daily in Christ-likeness. People. First, people. God uses our friends, our family, and our enemies. Our arch nemeses, right? God uses our friends and our families, but He also uses those people that are sometimes against us, Some, sometimes those people that are hard to be around. He uses our enemies to sharpen us, to sharpen us in godly living and to grind away those rough and ungodly edges. Have you noticed the spiritual fruits, the fruits of the Spirit? How many of the fruits of the Spirit require someone else? Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, self-control, long-suffering, those kind of things. Almost all of them require someone else to be in the room. And more times than not, that other person has to be annoying. I mean, what, what, how are you growing if it's an easy person that just agrees with everything you do or like, right? <laughs> it's someone that's a little bit antagonistic or a little oppositional to you. That's when the fruits of the Spirit are really crafted in you, really grown, germinating in you. So God uses our friends and family and our enemies to sharpen us in godly living and grind away those rough, ungodly edges. The second primary catalyst is circumstances. Circumstances. God uses situations in our lives, good and bad. He uses financial gain. He uses financial loss. He uses physical conditions, illness, job changes, etc. He uses these things to stimulate us and to wrangle us toward holiness. What does it mean to wrangle something? Have you ever wrangled anything? Cows, cats, children? Wrangling's tough. It's squirrely. I mean, it's like you got one, one thing going this way and the other thing's going the wrong way and you got to go get it and try to like coax it toward this thing. Circumstances have this effect on us. Good and bad, man. This is how God wrangles us toward holiness and Christ-likeness. So people, circumstances, the third catalyst is spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines. This is the only catalyst that is primarily under our control. People, not so much. Circumstances, absolutely not. <laughs> Spiritual disciplines, yes. This is under our control. This is something that is working from the inside out instead of the outside in. This means that we have a choice in the spiritual disciplines we participate in. We have a choice in the spiritual disciplines that we allow in and we make a part of our regular life and their shaping influence in us. Spiritual disciplines. We often have little choice regarding the people that come into our lives. We have little choice regarding the circumstances we encounter each week. But, here's the thing, we can decide whether or not we will study the Bible. We can decide, we will choose every morning whether or not we will pray, whether or not we will fast. People and circumstances alone, they will not produce and cultivate holiness in you. Okay? People, 
They can't do that for you. Circumstances, they can't cause spiritual fruit to grow in you, in their, in their own. It will not cultivate godliness. Spiritual disciplines provide the necessary structure, attitude, and posture, and availability within you to bring about that change, the transformation that the Holy Spirit desires. Only through the spiritual disciplines, because it's in those that we are positioning ourselves before the Lord. We're bringing the right posture into our being that says, God, speak, I'm listening. Shape me, mold me, imprint yourself upon me. The path to Christian maturity, our pilgrimage toward Christ's likeness, necessarily travels within and through the spiritual disciplines, the practice of the spiritual dis disciplines. As Donald Whitney describes in his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, he describes it this way. He says, the spiritual disciplines are those personal and corporate habits and practices that promote spiritual growth. They are the habits of devotion. They are the habits of devotion and experiential Christianity that have been practiced by the people of God since biblical times. There's something very ancient about the spiritual disciplines. They have been the practices that have guided and grown God's people since the very beginning. The classical Christian spiritual disciplines, they include inward practices, outward practices, and shared disciplines. Inward practices, outward practices, and shared practices or disciplines. So the inward disciplines that we're going to talk about in, in the coming weeks are uh, scripture meditation, scripture study, prayer, and fasting. The outward disciplines that we're going to spend time with, simplicity, solitude, submission, and service. And then the shared practices or the shared disciplines of confession, worship, and celebration. I look forward to working through these things because I think we're going to have an opportunity to grow together in these things. Some of these you're familiar with. Some of these probably not. So I think there's something for all of us in this. But here's what we know. God has given us the spiritual disciplines as a means of placing ourselves before Him. Okay, hear me say that. God has given us the spiritual disciplines as a means of placing ourselves before Him and allowing Him to work in us. The spiritual dis disciplines become a finger to our lips to shush the world around us. It's how we say, shh, 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 quiet down. Quiet down. I'm going to sit here. I'm going to be fully present with you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I'm attentive. Help me see. Help me hear. Help me understand in this moment. God has given us the spiritual disciplines as a means of placing ourselves before Him and allowing Him to work in us. In other words, the spiritual disciplines help us be more available to God so that He can imprint Christ's will and Christ's character upon us day by day. So, once we come to Christ, we are invited to follow after Him. We are invited to follow after Him and learn from Him and actually to become like Him. And Jesus actually talks about this. Did you know that? Listen to some of Jesus' words here. You can look at Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 25. Jesus says, Then He said to the crowd, If any of you want to be My follower, you must turn from your selfish ways and take up your cross daily and follow Me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. What And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost or destroyed? Here Jesus say, hey, you want to follow me? Take up your cross. 
follow me, live like me, experience what I experience, grow in the ways that I'm, seek, I'm, I'm providing for you to grow. Take up your cross and follow me. Don't seek to gain the world, gain life in me. He calls us to follow after him. And then in Matthew 11, 25 through 30, it's a familiar passage, uh, 25 through 30, uh, at that time Jesus prayed this prayer, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Verse 28, then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Okay, when I was a kid, I always heard yoke, and I always thought of eggs. But it turns out it's different. It's different. He's like, take my yoke upon you. He's not talking about an egg yoke. It's spelled differently, too. You might notice this. What does it mean for a rabbi to say, take my yoke upon you? Does anyone know this? What is a rabbi's yoke? His teaching, right? His, his, his theological understanding, his framework of understanding the Torah, the Old Testament, but also how he lives a, a, a faithful life. So someone following after a rabbi would take on their yoke and learn from them, start to uh, understand their teachings, but also live how their rabbi lived. That's why Jesus calls his disciples to follow him. And then subsequently they spend three years walking around together, sleeping on the floor together, sleeping at Peter's house together. I mean, there's doing stuff together. They're sharing life together. So there's the teaching times, but then there's the processing times. There's the experiential times together. So Jesus is saying, come to me, you're, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly, or humble in spirit. We have to hear fully what Jesus is saying. Come to me, and I will teach you. I will grow you. Ours, though, is to come to Him and to continue coming to Him. So, hearing what Jesus says to us, Richard Foster, who wrote a book called The Celebration of Discipline, he joins in by saying this, Following and learning from Jesus involves determination and discipline. For those who only follow incidentally and learn accidentally are not true disciples. Okay, if you say, I want to follow Jesus, but then it's all incidental and accidental that you just kind of showed up or you didn't really care, man, you're not really a disciple. True disciples are only those who every day get out of bed and say, okay, wherever Jesus is going, I'm going too. His yoke is upon me. His way of being in the world is becoming more and more my way of being in the world. How I interact with God, how I interact with others, His way is becoming my way. Those who only follow incidentally or learn accidentally are not true disciples. So, when Jesus returns, our struggle with the flesh will be finished. That's good news. And God's hope for us will be fully realized. That's great news. In the meantime, we are to, be, we are to discipline ourselves in order to grow intentionally toward Christ-likeness and to bear His imprint more and more. Now, a word of warning as we finish up. There is danger here. There is danger afoot. Some people looked up like, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. 
There is danger here. There is a word of warning that needs to be issued. There is danger in both neglecting as well as embracing the spiritual disciplines. And maybe you can guess what these are. There is danger in neglecting as well as embracing the spiritual disciplines. First, what is the danger of neglecting the spiritual disciplines? Well, we've touched on that. But by neglecting the spiritual disciplines, we face the danger of stunting our growth. Stunting our growth, lacking spiritual maturity, bearing little or no spiritual fruit, and ultimately missing out, missing out on the abundant life in Jesus Christ. Just like with our natural gifts and our natural potential, our spiritual gifts and potential must be cultivated. They must be nurtured intentionally. They must be driven by vision and direction and a sense of purpose because lack of discipline leads to waste. Lack of discipline leads to a wasted life. And guys, there's a lot of tragedies in the world, but I think one of the greatest tragedies of all is to be given one wild... Uh, one, one, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of Mary Oliver's line here. One uh, weird and wonderful life. No. Uh, oh, crud. Anyway, <laughs> we're given one life. What greater tragedy is it to be given by God uh, 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 one wild and <laughs> to be given a life and to waste it <laughs> through the lack of discipline to at the end of your life have nothing to show for it that I squandered this opportunity I didn't put any of my talents to good use I wasted my life man that's a great the greatest fear I have is that at the end of my life I'll think man I wasted it I wasted it huh that's a tragedy. Lack of discipline leads to a wasted life. Kelly, did you find it? It's a wild and precious. One wild and precious life. Thank you. <laughs> Don't waste your one wild and precious life. Thank you, Lacey. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you, Mary Oliver. Huh? Thank you, Internet. So that's the danger of neglecting the spiritual disciplines. Now, what about the danger of embracing the spiritual disciplines? How can it be that there's danger in pressing into the spiritual disciplines? Well, while the spiritual disciplines are intended for our good, and they are designed, they are meant to bring the abundance of God into our lives, just like so many other things, it is possible to turn the spiritual disciplines into another set of soul-killing laws. We can take things like the spiritual disciplines and turn them into legalistic religious practices. And that's risky. As always, law-bound disciplines, they breathe nothing but death. Doing things to try to earn God's favor, to be righteous or religious enough in their own merits, it always breathes death. The spiritual disciplines are not a point. They are not the point. They are, they are not an end in themselves. You understand that? There's something we do for a greater reason, something to lead us to a better place. They, the spiritual disciplines are a means to a much, much greater and much, much more rewarding end. There is great freedom in rightfully, rightly and faithfully practicing the spiritual disciplines. What do we gain when we rightfully practice the spiritual disciplines? Freedom. Freedom from sin, and also a deepening union with God. That sounds good, doesn't it? Freedom from sin and a deeper union with God. That should be motivating. 
Yes, I will press into the spiritual disciplines if at the other end what I, what I receive, what I experience is freedom from sin and a deepening union with God. Sign me up, right? Elton, Elton Trueblood, he hits it out of the park here. He says, We have not advanced very far in our spiritual lives if we have not encountered the basic paradox of freedom, that we are most free when we are bound. The one who would be an athlete but who is unwilling to discipline his body by regular exercise and abstinence is not free to excel on the field or on the track. His failure to train rigorously denies him the freedom to run with the desired speed and endurance. With one concerted voice, the giants of the devotional life apply the same principle to the whole of life. Discipline is the price of freedom. Only through discipline do we actually in, are we able to enjoy true freedom. And then Elizabeth Elliot, she gets in on the action and highlights the crucial link between freedom and discipline by saying, freedom and discipline have come to be regarded as mutually exclusive when in fact freedom is not at all the opposite, but is the final reward of discipline. Have you found this to be true? Those things that you've disciplined yourself the most in have led to the most enjoyment, the most freedom in your life. Here's an example, Tony, a piano virtuoso, right? <laughs> no pressure. Or Kaylee, right? Up here on, on the fiddle, right? <laughs> we live in the Ozarks. What, what else do you call it? Oh, a violin. Okay, yes. But anyway, a piano virtuoso like Tony, he is free to play Chopin, and I am not. Why? And he didn't practice just once or twice. Dude practiced all the time. He went to school for it. He trained. He trained others. He immersed his life in the practice of the piano. Same with Kaylee. I mean, just over the short years uh, that we've known each other, you went from being a high schooler playing the, the violin <laughs> to now... Uh, performing and being asked to perform places. I mean, you've disciplined yourself in this, and that discipline has led to a greater and greater sense of freedom. This may not resonate with you, but how about this? Kenny G. Kenny G. Um, he is free to woo women with the dulcet tones of his saxophone while I am not. Did I ever play the saxophone? Why, yes, I did. I played the saxophone in fifth grade until eighth grade, and then I discovered it wasn't cool to play the saxophone. And I quit the saxophone, and now I wooed my wife in many ways, but saxophone was not one of them. <laughs> I, if I had stuck with it, if I had disciplined myself, I would have the freedom to be one of those pastors that punctuates my sermons. You know, you've always had those, you've seen those pastors that break into song in their sermon. I'm not that guy, but I could whip out my saxophone. <laughs> If I had the forethought, but I didn't. Anyway, here's the thing. The virtuoso's years of being bound to their instrument, those years of disciplined practice, that's what gave them the freedom to speak and to, to, to serenade, to bless through their gift, through their skill. It's only because they've been bound. And this is also why you don't see it showing up in my life. I did not bind myself. I did not discipline myself in these areas. Now I am not free to do those same things. There is a big, big difference between dabbling and discipline. What I did with the saxophone, dabbling. What Kenny G did with the saxophone, discipline, right?
be it in playing musical instruments, being it in learning languages, or in following Jesus. There is a big difference between dabbling and discipline. The freedom of spiritual maturity that comes through discipline is the freedom to share in God's vision. Okay, the freedom that comes through discipline is the freedom to share in God's vision for us and for His world. And even more, it is the freedom and the ability to express Christ's character through our own personality, to see Jesus' character imprinted on us so strongly that it starts to show up in our marriage to show up in our relationship with our family and our friends in the workplace, at school. We start noticing Jesus' likeness showing up in us. How great is that? Jesus' character shows up in our personality, in our life, in our relationships. This freedom is the reward that comes from intentional pursuit, from the daily practice of the spiritual disciplines. It does not come through dabbling here and there in church stuff. Sorry, what happens here is great, but it's not enough. This was not designed to propel you, to catapult you into Christ-likeness. It's not going to do it. Don't point your finger at me and say, I didn't do my job. What happens Monday through Saturday is critical. That daily practice, that daily intentional pursuit, the practice of the spiritual disciplines. Imagine what's possible in you. Imagine what is possible. What are you missing out on because of your lack of spiritual discipline? What frustration do you feel? What lack do you feel in your walk with Jesus? And how much of that is truly at root, just ultimately because lack of discipline? Lack of spiritual discipline. Is it because of unfamiliarity with Christ or an unwillingness to follow Him? I mean, only good can come from us being really honest about this right now. Okay, I know that kind of poked you in the chest a little bit, but think about it. Much of the frustration of the lack of fruitfulness you recognize in yourself goes to the fact that you're not following after Jesus very fastidiously. You're not very disciplined in your following after Jesus. You're not allowing Him to imprint Himself on you daily. So why would there be fruitfulness? But here's the thing. You've heard that saying, the best time to plant an oak tree is when? 20 years ago. But when is the second best time to plant an oak tree? Today! Today, hear this as invitation. Guys, we can start now. Even if it's a fledgling effort, we can start to build these spiritual disciplines into our life and start preparing the soil of our lives so that we can be cultivated by the Holy Spirit and start bearing real fruit. You, a year from now, could be a lot more like Jesus than you are right now. How exciting is that? Man, I would love that. I would love that in me. I would love to witness that in you. What freedom could be yours? What freedom? What is the world? What in the world is waiting for you? Who in your world is waiting for you to grow in Christ-likeness? Think about that. Who is it that God, who God has placed around you that is eager, desperate, dying for you to be like Christ? What could we be? Who could we become in their life if we became more like Jesus? May you become free to be a virtuoso, fluent in the life in Christ. May you learn fully to, to fully and freely play the song of transformation and to speak that life-giving language of Christ-likeness starting now, today, here. When Jesus returns, our struggle with the flesh will be finished and God's hope for us will be fully realized. In the meantime, we are to discipline ourselves 
in order to grow intentionally toward Christ-likeness and to bear his imprint more and more. Let's pray. Father, we've heard your word. We've heard you speak. And God, each and every one of us, to one degree or another, we know what we need to do. Lord, there are some areas of the list of spiritual disciplines that Christians have practiced for centuries. Some of these we are familiar with. Indeed, some of these are uh, part of our daily practice. But a lot of those lack, a, lack vitality. They lack life. and They're not well-rounded. You know, we're kind of lopsided and we're missing out. So we spend time in the Word, we spend time in prayer, but we don't actually go out and live that uh, bearing witness to the world around us very effectively. And so, God, I pray that as we spend the next several weeks in this study, in your Word, I pray that um, even now you would start to uh, open up something inside of us, give us a desire and an appetite to grow, that you would hold before us freedom and fruitfulness, and then through your Holy Spirit, give us the motivation and the determination to discipline ourselves. Because we do know that discipline is the unexpected path to freedom. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. And the path along which he is leading us is the path of discipline so that we might fully enjoy and fully experience that freedom. So God, bring the work of conviction if necessary. God, uh, kindle an excitement in us that we could become more like Jesus, that we could bear his imprint more and more in our world, in our daily mundane interactions. We could look more like Jesus, that over the next year even, we could start to become more like Jesus, look more like Jesus in our world, interact more like Jesus in the world, that people in my life would be blessed because of the fruit the Holy Spirit is able to produce in me. So God, give us an appetite for that, a desire. Cast a vision in our heart, one that compels us and drives us on. Lord, I want to be fluent in the language of love. I want to be trained in righteousness. I want to be ready to, to, to engage and experience everything you put before me, all the opportunities, all the interactions. I want you to be glorified. I want to be able to share this fruit with others, God. And I want that for my friends here too. So I pray that for them as well. Lord, as we sit for the next few minutes and just talk to you, lay our lives before you, I pray that your Holy Spirit would now even start uh, removing some rocks, pulling out some weeds, turning some soil in us, preparing us for the work you would do in us. And God, may we be compliant. May we be willing and obedient, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we're going to worship one more song. We're going to take a few minutes here. And this is an important time for you to sit with the Lord. Have that conversation. Lay these things. But You know yourself way better than anyone else here. I mean... <laughs> You know where you've been real lopsided, you've been uh, inattentive, maybe you've been resistant to doing the things God called you to do, but you know where it's at. So sit with the Lord and make the most of this opportunity.